Part 7. Precious Environment It was noon, but for my work schedule, that was essentially the middle of the night. Daffy shook me awake, and I was startled, worried she was going into labor since Jade was scheduled to arrive in just a few days. What? Are you okay? What's going on? I asked, seeing tears in her eyes. I feared the worst. If Daffy went into labor with Placenta Previa, we would have to rush to the hospital for an emergency cesarean. I'm sorry to wake you. She gave me a soft smile, but she still looked distraught. Will you please talk to your dad? About what? I was now sitting up in bed, and the headache I'd have later was already brewing. It's Pepper. They have her watching a movie by herself. Why? Where did they go? I assumed you two were busy with work or something. They didn't go anywhere. Your stepmom is making a blanket, and your dad is just on his phone. A blanket? I was so confused and decided it'd be easier to see for myself. I stood up from the bed and opened my door. The house was quiet, so I could hear a movie playing in the living room. I gingerly walked through the dining room on the cold hardwood floor. Years of skateboarding meant I'd always have at least 15 minutes of plantar's fasciitis pain every day when I'd first get up. I saw my stepmom sitting on the floor with the aforementioned blanket in her hands. It was a gift to us, a blanket I expect she anticipated we would wrap Jade in when he was born. As I got closer, I realized it was a Christian blanket with a sizable hand-stitched Bible verse from top to bottom. It was never any question about what our beliefs were. We were not a Christian family. A religious gift felt a little inappropriate, but again, I was able to pick my battles and didn't say anything. I'm sure she thought it might end up being Jade's first blankie, and she'd end up getting her feelings hurt when we didn't give it to him, but I was going to have to deal with that when the time came. First things first. You were sitting on the couch looking at your phone, and I assumed you were checking emails for work. On the opposite couch was Pepper. At less than two years old, her little feet didn't even reach the end of the couch cushions. She looked so tiny sitting there by herself on a four-person couch. She was watching trolls and didn't take her eyes off the screen when I walked in. This was easily the tenth time we had asked you and my stepmom to limit the screen time with her, but every time we'd turn around, she'd be watching something on your phone or playing a game on the iPad. We were traumatized by Pepper's colic, and Daphne agonized about having to breastfeed again, not to mention the severity of the risks involved with her complications. We couldn't imagine going through that again, but now with an out-of-routine Pepper. After our fishing trip on the lake and my stupid laundry complaint, you seemed to be rallying hard against our plans. When we would ask you to limit screen time, it felt like you were intentionally rebelling against our wishes as if to say, we came here to help you, beggars can't be choosers. This would have been entirely accurate. We can't ask you to drop everything you're doing, come to California, wait on us hand and foot, and then demand you follow our every request. Regardless, that was exactly what I needed from someone at that time, and you were the only person in the world that I felt comfortable enough to ask. I didn't want to have this conversation. I just wanted to go back to bed. We had already talked about screen time, but it was always veiled as a request. You'd be playing games with her on the phone, and we'd let it go for a little while, and then we'd say something like, okay, no more games, or we'd change the subject. Pepper, would you like to color? I hadn't sat you down and clarified my expectations yet, and I honestly thought you would appreciate me talking to you man to man, so I decided to pull you to the side. Hey, Dad, can I talk to you outside? My eyes were still squinted against the daylight. My room had blackout curtains that helped me sleep during the day, so waking up was always disorienting when I would realize it was closer to noon. 
You had your head down, looking at your phone. When I asked, you didn't lift your head. You just looked up at me over your glasses. We locked eyes for a brief moment, and then you begrudgingly rose to your feet, put your phone in your pocket, and carefully placed your glasses in their case. Everything okay? You asked. Yeah, I just want to talk to you in private. I imagine my stepmom heard that and took offense. Just another thing she'd bring up to you later, I'm sure. More eggshells I didn't feel like walking on. You followed me through the kitchen and we stepped out onto the back porch. I sat down on the stairs, and a rush of anxiety filled my gut. I was going to try my best to make this confrontation unconfrontational. I failed immediately as the first thing that came from my mouth was, So, what's going on with the screen time? What are you talking about? We're just being quiet so you can sleep. You had your arms crossed and already looked angry. I know that, and I appreciate that, but we've asked you guys to limit her screen time. Daphne woke me up because you have Pepper sitting on the couch by herself, watching an entire movie. I waited for a reply, but one never came, so I continued, at least sit next to her and ask her questions about the movie, keep her little brain stimulated. I wanted Pepper to get the same level of care she would typically receive if Daphne and I were available. Had you been uncomfortable doing what we asked of you, I wish you had said no to us. It would have been fine. Daphne and I could have come up with a different plan. We could have asked her family to watch the kids or hired a babysitter that we could hold to a certain standard. It would have been sufficient, and we wouldn't have had to fight with you. Instead, we put you in a situation you didn't want to be in, and you could only see me as an ungrateful little boy. Then, as I tried to talk with you about it, you treated me like one. Well, I'm sorry we're poisoning your precious fucking environment. We'll be leaving soon, and then you won't have to worry about us anymore. You had this look of pure disgust on your face, and the hatred caught me by surprise. Again, I cannot stress this enough. I didn't want to have this conversation with you. I knew it wouldn't be fun, but I didn't know you'd get so angry. I thought you would be annoyed with my requests and probably roll your eyes, but you'd respect my decisions. I secretly hoped you'd be interested in how I came to those decisions. I had books, journal articles, apps on my phone, and guidance from our doctor. So if you were curious why Daphne and I had made these rules, I would have been more than happy to share our reasoning. You weren't interested in why I asked you to do these things. You were just pissed that I wasn't happy with what you were doing. Growing up, you would never explain any reasoning behind your rules. You would tell me what to do, and I'd ask you, why? You would furiously shout back, Because I'm the father, that's why. Now here we were, but I was the father and had rules that needed to be followed for my kid, but you hadn't taken to the transition as gracefully as I'd hoped. Again, I wondered if my brother had asked the same of you, would you have been more careful to follow his requests? Would you have respected his wishes? Would you have been interested in the books and journals he was reading and asked to learn more? It's hard to imagine you yelling at him the way you had just done to me, and it's impossible to picture you looking at him the way you had looked at me. The moment you stood up, arms crossed, towering over me as I sat on the stairs, I saw something in your eyes. They were so full of anger and disgust with me, and you wanted me to see it. There's a difference in the eyes of someone trying to hide their anger and disgust compared to someone who wants to convey those feelings. You attempted to intimidate and put me in my place, to show me I was just a little boy and you were the father, a total alpha move. Looking back at you, I could see something else in your eyes that I had never seen before. It was subtle, but I could see the faint reflection of my mom staring back at me. The wind blew the leaves all around us in the backyard. 
I could hear them rustling wildly as they collected against the fence and blew against the door behind me. The sound suddenly stopped, and we were left in silence. I looked down to see that the leaves were gone, and I was no longer on my back porch. Part 8. Sherlock It was a brief change in perception, a short glimpse into a memory that wasn't mine. Suddenly, I was my mother, at my wit's end with you, and realizing I was, I was going, going to have to call you out for having an affair. I didn't have proof, but I had talked to several people you worked with, and they all told me you had been screwing around with that bitch Joanne. Hell, one of the guys even told me he had walked in on you two fucking at work. Now you had flown to Texas for several meetings, but a few days before you were supposed to fly back, you called and told me some of those meetings had gotten delayed. As the meetings were all pushed back later in the week, your flight had to be rescheduled. It looked like you wouldn't be flying home until midnight. I guess you thought I was an idiot, though, because the local airport doesn't have red-eye flights. I called Trish, and I told her what was happening. We decided to hide at the airport when you were initially scheduled to arrive. Wouldn't you fucking know it? Here you come, bags in hand, walking off that fucking plane. I was furious, too furious to see where you were going to go. I wish I would have stayed hidden and followed you to that bitch's house, but instead, I confronted you in front of everyone. You motherfucker! I shouted as I jumped out from behind the baggage claim carousel. Betty, what are you doing here? You ax, shocked. I got back early and was going to surprise you and the kids. Fuck you, this airport doesn't have midnight flights. You were probably headed to meet Joanne. I have a copy of your fucking itinerary. I hit you with the rolled up paper I had nervously fidgeted with while hiding the past hour. You crossed your arms, and a look of pure disgust filled your eyes. Well fucking good for you, Sherlock. My heart skipped a beat as it filled with the shock of the unexpected response and the accompanying anger associated with, with the, the deflection. deflection. I was here to confront you, how was I to blame in this situation? As my blood began to boil, I could hear the leaves rustling again. Dad, are you serious? poisoning our environment. That's a little much. I'm just trying to understand why you keep putting her in front of a television when we've asked you not to. I'm trying to understand if you have a reason. If you don't want to do what we've asked of you, that's okay, but let me know, and we won't expect that of you. I was doing my best to stay calm. I wasn't even mad at you. I just wanted to go back to bed. Taking you outside was intended to clarify what you were willing to do, but it hadn't accomplished anything. I had only upset you, and now I was on your bad side. I thought we could bond over our shared experience as fathers, but just like every other missed opportunity, you didn't understand or respect how I chose to do it. Your arms never uncrossed, and the look of disgust never went away. That look stayed on your face for the next three years. This confrontation soured your opinion of me for a long time. Was it because I had left the military? Was it because of the laundry complaint? Was it for calling you out on screen time for a one-year-old? Whatever it was, you must have lost some respect for me, and all vacations after this were very awkward. Usually, you seem so excited to see me when we arrive at the airport, but you haven't been since that day. You're always happy to see the kids, but unfortunately, the kids have to bring me. That backyard confrontation changed your perception of me but the out-of-body experience I had when you yelled at me changed my perception of you too. I now empathized with what my mother had been going through. I don't think you ever had an affair, and I don't think you were fooling around at work. But what is certain is that my mom felt the need to confront you about something she was concerned about, 
and when she tried to talk to you about it, you hit her with the same look that I was now getting. Rather than taking the time to understand why we were upset, and regardless of your likely innocence, you showed us how disgusted you were with our accusations. How I felt in this moment is how she must have felt in her moment, and I felt bad for her. Shannon's behavior at graduation had cracked the facade around the emotional walls I built to enclose all memories of my mom. My recent vision had just knocked that wall down, and a flood of emotions from my mother that I'd not had since childhood came rushing over me all at once. A few days later, Jade was born, Daphne and I started establishing new routines for our kids, you and my stepmom went back home a week early, and I started researching how I could get a hold of my mother for the first time in almost 20 years. Mom. Chapter 7. Part 1. Clogged Sinks. My mom and brother always had a complicated relationship, even when he was little. They would fight constantly, and she was hard on him. You've jokingly described my brother as the type of kid you'd have to follow around the house spanking as you'd repeatedly say, no, no, drop that, no, stop, no, drop it. It's easier to joke about when you get to leave for work each morning. I've noticed the same paradigm in my own young family. Daphne and Pepper are very similar, and now that Pepper is almost six years old, her teenage personality is already starting to show. Pepper has learned which buttons get a rise out of her mom and she enjoys pushing them. She can be downright evil at times. Pepper will say, you're a terrible mom, I hate you. I know Pepper doesn't mean it when she says these things because she says it when she's frustrated with bedtime. We hear all the time, that's normal kid stuff, they all say that kind of thing to their parents at some point. But it never makes Daphne feel any better because Pepper doesn't say that sort of thing to me. I imagine it's hard not to take it personally and not to feel terrible about it. I'd be crushed if Pepper said those things to me. Shannon also used to say that kind of stuff to our mom. Unfortunately, it really is normal for kids to say mean things to their parents. They don't know what they're saying. All they know is that it got a big reaction the first time they said it. Negative attention is still attention. Kids lack the maturity and insight necessary to express big emotions. I know adults who lack the maturity and insight to express big emotions. That's the basis for this entire book. If I stayed home from work and was responsible for keeping the kids in line all day, I'm sure they'd hit me with death threats too. Instead, I come home after Daphne has fought the kids into taking a good nap. They greet me at the door, well rested, and I have dinner and desserts ready for them that I picked up on my way home. We eat, wrestle on the megabed, or play catch in the backyard. I poop them out, cuddle them into bed, and read books until they fall asleep. It's hard to imagine parenting is that hard when you come home and be a fun dad for only three hours. When Daphne complains that Pepper wants her dead, I have a few options for how to respond. Based on my experience with the kids, it's hard to imagine Daphne isn't doing something wrong. It's compounded by the fact that Pepper is my little buddy. We are connected by some galactic force that introduced her to me before she was born via musical dreams. It also happens that her temperament and emotional state are cloned directly from my wife. Like familial magnets, Pepper and I are connected at the hip while she and her mom are naturally repelled. Again, the same can be said of my brother and you and his relationship with his mom. To assume the discord between my wife and Pepper is all Daphne's doing is unfair to Daphne and doesn't help alleviate any of the tension they will always naturally experience at some level. 
A second, more helpful option I have in response to Pepper's terrorism is to listen to my wife and help her work through it. Our sink in the kitchen was once clogged, and the pipes began leaking under the sink. I removed everything section by section, until I found the pipes were full of old decaying bits of food. Our sink didn't have a garbage disposal, so food that managed to get past the screen would clog if enough got through. I wanted to make sure Daphne knew she couldn't push food past the drain screen. Given the fact that I had just been forced to touch the most disgusting wad of filth, I felt it was time for a little bit of mansplaining. When I shared my concern with her, she was immediately upset and went on the defensive, stating she had done no such thing. She suffers slightly from perfectionism and doesn't do well with criticism, not to mention I'm complaining about how she does chores around the house. It's not as if she wants to do the dishes. All benefits of doubt aside, the accusation sent her into a pre-rage, and any smart man would know when to back off. Regrettably, for both of us, I took it as an opportunity to get her riled up and said something along the lines of, Okay, but you really should stop doing it, though. My wife didn't notice it at first, but Pepper has the same propensity for defensiveness. Daphne would send Pepper to timeout for hitting her younger brother, and then wouldn't let her come out of timeout until she could first explain why she had been in timeout and what she would do differently next time. Daphne wanted Pepper to understand why she had been sent to timeout in the first place and wanted her to think about ways to handle it better in the future, something that works well for our son. For Pepper, it felt the same as being reminded about the food being pushed past the drain screen, and she would always get angry. My two perfect girls who hate making mistakes. Framing this conversation with my wife was hard. She hadn't done anything wrong. She had gone by the book, literally. She watched YouTube videos, read child psychology books, and followed different parenting blogs on social media. It wasn't for lack of trying. As an outside observer, I could see something she hadn't yet seen. We approached the subject as a team, and I asked her questions. We talked it out and implemented a few things. I may or may not have reminded her about the time she would forcefully cram food past the drain screen. Eventually, we had a plan moving forward, which worked for a couple of weeks until we had to adapt again, as one must in parenting. Most importantly, Daphne felt validated in her feelings, and even if the new things hadn't worked, she felt like she had been recharged. She had felt like she was at her wit's end and had tried everything, but now she at least had some more things to try. I also felt good about our conversation. I felt so bad I couldn't be there to help, but this is my way of helping around the house when I am stuck at work each day. I don't know if you and my mom ever had those opportunities to work through things the same way. I imagine you did work as a team when Shannon was a baby, and you were rushing to weatherize the trailer as the temperature dropped well below zero and the water pipes were starting to burst around the trailer park. I wonder if you guys worked these things out together and the communication had just stopped at some point or if you managed to make it 20 years without ever communicating. If your relationship with me was anything like the one you had with my mom, I imagine you never really articulated how you felt. I also wonder if my mom's sour relationship with my brother was avoidable or if Daphne and Pepper are destined for a lifetime of fighting just like them. It may also be an apples-to-oranges sort of thing because Daphne is very different from my mom. My mom had a difficult upbringing with abuse during her childhood and pregnancy at only 17. Based on my experiences with her throughout my life, she may have an undiagnosed borderline personality disorder with an attention deficit and dyslexia. Taking that into consideration, 
I recognize I have had it much easier as a husband to my wife and that our communication was likely less cumbersome than what you experienced with your wife. If every time I tried to talk to Daphne, she would blow up and go into a week's long depression while trying to push everyone away, I'd likely not have the fairy tale marriage I currently enjoy. Something I find hard to understand is that I had a very different experience than my brother. I happened to have a great relationship with my mom. I was a mama's boy, and I think Shannon always took some offense to that. Not necessarily toward me, but his mom. To me, he probably felt some sibling rivalry and jealousy, but I think it was primarily directed at our mom. As we got older, his relationship with her got more physical, and his hatred for her grew. Part 2. Cigarettes I was walking home from school one day, climbing the hill toward our house, and I saw Shannon storming toward me red-faced. Furious, he said he was leaving before hitting our mom back. She had slapped him in the face and he thought she was trying to kill him. I didn't know at the time that he had gotten caught sniffing glue and she told him he wasn't allowed to go out anymore and that he needed to figure out what he was doing with his life. He replied by asking her what she had done with her life. Rude back talking doesn't necessarily justify what happened next, but she ripped the hat off his head and slapped him in the face with it before chasing him out of the house. He called you from our cousin's house to tell you that she had beaten him, and you said it should have been you. Unfortunately, it wasn't you, and he held it against her instead. The first time I saw them getting physical was at the ice skating rink. I was playing with my cousins on the ice when I saw her enter the arena. I skated to the wall to say hi, but she just made a beeline to the top row of the bleachers, where Shannon was sitting with friends. She was yelling at him and backing him toward the edge of the bleachers. If I remember correctly, he had gotten caught throwing a party at the house over the weekend. She pushed him, and his back hit the railing. She stomped her way down the bleachers and went home, but Shannon was left feeling as if he had almost been pushed to his death, regardless that it was maybe ten feet high. Getting slapped and pushed around was very different from the childhood I was living in, but we had the same mom. With all the bullshit I pulled, it's safe to say that if my mom had been around when I hit my teen years, she definitely would have murdered me. When you and mom started having issues, she and Shannon were constantly at each other's throats. All this drama was unfolding around me, but you guys were doing a good job of hiding it. It reminds me of the first time I caught mom smoking cigarettes. I remember playing outside of Pizza Hut with my cousins after eating dinner. I ran into the building to grab a drink of water and saw my mom and aunt smoking at the table. My world started to spin. All I could see was the cigarette in her hand with the red and white checkered tablecloth that served as the backdrop to this egregious deception. I remember struggling with the realization that my parents smoked cigarettes but also held secrets. That's exactly how it felt when I heard my mom crying in the bathroom for the first time. The bathroom door didn't have a lock, so if one wanted privacy, you would have to open the cabinet drawers, and then they'd prevent the bathroom door from opening fully. I heard her sobbing and attempted to walk in, only to slam the door loudly into the drawers. Her crying became more frantic as she screamed for some peace. This only made me more concerned, and I repeatedly slammed the door into the drawers trying to get in. I realized more secrets were being kept when she finally let me in and she wasn't hurt or crying for any reason. She just assured me everything was okay. I knew divorce was around the corner when I heard you both arguing upstairs when I came home from school. I burst into your room just as you pushed my mom onto the bed. She had just been hitting you and you were trying to get her to stop. 
I would learn much later that this was the day after you had called her Sherlock for having investigated your itinerary from your trip back from Texas. I could see the look on each of your faces as you both realized you wouldn't be able to hide your metaphorical cigarettes from me anymore. The following Christmas, I woke up and learned my mom had left for good and she had taken the Christmas tree out of spite. We had an old brass indoor plant holder that was maybe three feet tall and we placed all of our presents around the base of it. We opened our gifts and I played with my new toys, but I still didn't know what was happening or where she had gone. When the dust settled, my mom would pick me up and take me to the arcade or the gym to play basketball. Even at such a young age, I knew she was trying a little too hard to make things fun. She would promise we would do this stuff all the time when I came to live with her. By contrast, you didn't seem to encourage me either way. You were okay with me choosing whom I wanted to live with, and if I decided to live with my mom, you went out of your way to ensure I knew you wouldn't be upset. The stakes didn't seem that high, considering we lived in a small town. I would see my mom all the time anyway. You stayed in our house, and mom had moved out, so I stayed with you where all my stuff was. We lived closer to my cousins, the house was bigger, and I could attend the same school my brother had. There were so many reasons to stay with you. Considering my mom was just on the other side of town, I didn't think picking you would be such a big deal. That all changed when you said you were moving to Texas. I had already decided to stay with you, but now I had to make that decision all over again. My mom was growing desperate, trying to convince me to stay with her since the stakes had increased significantly. On the other hand, you kept reminding me that everything would be okay. You promised to buy me tickets back home anytime I wanted to see either of you, no matter whom I picked. I guess you just supported me more, and it felt like the safer option. There was also the allure of the unknown, to go to Texas and travel to new places. My choice broke my mom's heart, and I don't think she ever forgave me. After years of fighting fire with fire, my mom and brother had become pure enemies. He hated her so much and felt she was so critical of him. When it started to get physical, he wrote her off and couldn't wait to go to college. When you and my mom split, he didn't have to choose whom he'd live with because he was off to college anyway. My mom would stay in our hometown, my brother left for college, and you and I were headed to Texas. Our perfect little family had quickly fallen apart, and then we all separated from each other. I was packing my things, but I didn't know why. According to you and mom, you both had simply fallen out of love, and I had taken that as a perfectly good excuse for it all. That is until we walked past Richard in the Smith's parking lot, 